Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Bobby Jones. I am the uh, Associate Pastor of Youth and College Ministries here at Parkway Baptist Church. And uh, I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. Um, if you're a first-time guest, uh, you picked a great Sunday to be here. We're going to have a conversation with our family. Have you ever had that happen when mom and dad call you and say, uh, we need to have a little family meeting today? Well, that's what's going to happen here today. But before we do that, uh, I would love to have the opportunity to... Uh, ask you to join me in prayer for some churches that we had the opportunity to serve with this last week. Um, City View Church is a church that is uh, meeting this morning in AMC Theater Number 2. Uh, they're a portable church in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, downtown uh, Phoenix Church is a church that meets in coffee shops and restaurants in different areas around the community in downtown Phoenix. Another one is Grace Life Church. They're meeting in an elementary school this morning. They've brought everything in to create those environments. And, uh, and then tonight at 5 p.m., uh, Relentless Church will use a borrowed facility. First Southern Baptist Church of Phoenix allows them to come in and use their facility for a worship service in the evening. And so four different churches we had the opportunity to serve with, but I would love it if you would uh, join alongside me to pray for them and to pray for our time together this morning. So let's pray together. Father God, we just uh, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you this morning to, uh, to share with uh, one another about what you have called us to do. And God, we pray that uh, as we uh, begin our morning, God, we pray for those that are in Phoenix, Arizona, Arizona this morning. God, as they are setting up for church and preparing a place for people to hear about Jesus, God, we pray that you'd be those pastors, that you'd give them a passion for your word this morning. God, help them to speak the truth in love. And God, we, just, uh, we pray for Relentless Church and, and City View Church and Downtown Phoenix Church and Grace Life Church this morning, very specifically, God, asking that you would pour um, out your spirit among those people, God, that they might hear truth and respond. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are in the middle, or not in the middle, we're in the first third of a, uh, of a, a theme for this year called uh, a church on mission, a missionary mentality. And we've kind of, we've kind of twisted that and turned it around to where we say that we're a church on mission. Every member is a missionary here, there, and everywhere. And you've heard Brother Jeff preach about that the first of January. We've talked about it several different times. But that's what we are this year, not just this year, but we hope that's who we are until Jesus comes back. That we are a church on mission and that every member, every person that says Parkway is their home, that every member is a missionary here, there, and everywhere. And as I was preparing for this message, I bumped into this article and it's, the title of the article is what caught my attention. It says, More Teens Becoming Fake Christians. More Teens Becoming Fake Christians. And as the youth and college pastor, that uh, concerned me, so I wanted to read the article and see what it had to say. And uh, it says that, that students are, are kind of getting into this moralistic, therapeutic deism, which is just a fancy term to say that they see God as a divine therapist. That God is here to, to help me with all my problems. That God's here to listen to me, and when I walk away, I feel better. And while that might be true about God, that's not all who God is. But they see God as a defined therapist. And when they were asked what God's goals were for their life, uh, they said that it was to boost self-esteem through good morals. Boost self-esteem through good morals. That's a long way off from every member a missionary here, there, and everywhere. That God, they see God as just a divine therapist to boost their self-esteem and morals. And 
That, again, concerns me. So I continued reading it. It said that, that three out of four uh, teenagers claim to be Christians. All right? 75% of teenagers claim to be Christians. However, only half deem their Christian faith as important. Less than half actually practice their faith. And then most, most teenagers cannot coherently speak about their beliefs. And I don't know what you're thinking. They're teenagers. They can't coherently speak about anything. That's not true. I work with them on a daily basis. You want to talk about money? Teenagers can talk about money. They can do some serious financing. They can show you how to do all this money stuff. It's great. They can talk about sports. They know every statistic about every player. About his, they can tell you his shoe size. They can tell you, you know, he's right arm, left arm. I mean, they know sports. Uh, they can talk to you about their family dynamics. They can talk to you about how they relate to their mom and their dad and their brothers and their sisters and their extended family. Uh, they can talk about those things. They can also talk about, um, you know, entertainment. They can tell you who wrote the, the script for the movie. They can tell you the director for the movie. They can tell you the stars in the movie. They can tell you the scenes you didn't see in the theater that were supposed to be in the movie. I mean... Students can talk coherently about a lot of different subjects, so it disturbs me when I think that they can't talk about their faith. That they can't have a, a conversation with someone about what they believe. When they were asked, these, these students, there's about 3,500 students, when they were asked, what does God want from me and for me? This is what they said. This is what God wants from me. He wants me to be good, and he wants me to do good. And what does he want for me? He wants me to feel good. That was the, the consensus of 3,500 teenagers saying, this is the, the relationship that I have with God that he wants from me, be good and do good. And he wants for me to feel good. And so I had to ask, you know, what, what's the cause of this? And before I tell you the cause, let me read you a quote that's from Levi Leska's book, I Declare War. And it says this, it says, Sometimes you need to speak difficult words that are necessary to help people become who they were meant to be. This morning, again, we're pulling up to the table. It's a family conversation, and sometimes we need to share some difficult words sometimes. And so what's the cause of students that, that can't have a, a conversation about their beliefs? What's the cause of students thinking that if, I'm, if I be good and I do good and I feel good, then everything is okay in my Christian relationship? Well, the ultimate blame falls on us. Us as in adults. Us as in parents. Us as in pastors, deacons, teachers, leaders. As a church, it falls on us. You know, parents, you are the most influential person in the life of your child. If you bring your student here on Sundays and Sunday nights and Wednesdays, I have them for about four or five hours. That means you have them for 164 or 163 hours during the week. Not only that, just because you're their mom and dad, you have a special influence in their life to speak truth, to speak love, to speak encouragement, and to teach them about what it means to be a Christian. And then church, you know, we're... We're, sometimes we're just as much to blame because what we do is we say, hey, all right, Bobby, if you can keep those kids off drugs and keep them away from premarital sex 
and they'll just be nice to each other, and we can get them to go to church when, when, when they can. Man, all right, we've done right. We've done good. All right, they're being good. They're not having sex, and they're not doing drugs, and they come when they can. Man, that's awesome. Man, that's, that's scary. A quote from the article said this, and this is what struck home in me. If teenagers lack an articulate faith, it may be because the faith that we, adults, the church, followers of Jesus, parents, if teenagers lack an articulate faith, it may be because the faith that we show them is too spineless to merit much of a conversation. Now, when I read those words, it hit me in my heart so deep that I was thinking, have I presented a gospel that is spineless? Have I presented that a relationship with Jesus is just about being good and feeling good and doing good and, and everything's okay if that's happening? That's scary. Teenagers want to know about how they can have a faith that is real in Jesus Christ. They may not know that they want that, but there's something inside of them that is longing for something. We know that that longing is not for something, it's for someone, it's for Jesus. And they want to be filled and know who Jesus is. They want to have a passion for something. They want to be inspired. They want to be challenged. And maybe sometimes we fall short of doing those things. So what can we do? How do we correct this? Well, the good news is we don't have to come up with a plan on our own. We can look to God's Word and find instructions there about how we can continue to build students that know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and continue to able to communicate what that looks like in their hearts and in their lives, and they will share it with others. So if you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you go ahead and turn to Luke Chapter 5 is where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse number 1. Luke chapter 5, verse number 1. Before we read that, I want to kind of just catch you up with what's been going on in the book of Luke. Uh, the great thing about the book of Luke, he starts out talking about how he's writing this letter to his friend and that he's gotten all his information from eyewitnesses which is incredible. We don't have to think that Luke, who's a doctor, um, made any of this up, assumed anything, that everything that's written in the book of Luke, he says, I got it firsthand from people that were around Jesus, that lived with him, that did life with him. So we have eyewitnesses accounts, and he's sharing those with us today. In the first two chapters, we read about uh, the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus and, and Jesus' blessing in the temple with Simeon and Anna. In, in chapter 3, we begin to read about the work of John the Baptist as he's going out and preaching about the kingdom of God and repentance and baptism. And then we read in, in chapter 4 about uh, Jesus' temptation in the desert. And after the temptation, Jesus goes back to his hometown. And there he, he opens up in the synagogue. They hand him a scroll, and it's the, it's the book of Isaiah that we have in our Bibles today. And he unfolds it and he finds this place and he reads this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, when Isaiah wrote these words so many hundreds of years ago, he was writing them about me, and now that I have read them to you, they have been fulfilled. This is exactly what I came to do. And that leads us to chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading chapter 5 and verse number 1. And this is kind of divided up into three movements, and we'll kind of walk through those movements together. Chapter 5, verses, chapter, Luke chapter 5, verse number 1, this is what it says. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, you've heard that before, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Okay, so let's just kind of talk about that for a second. Uh, first of all, Simon, he had experienced a little bit of, of Jesus' workings. At the end of chapter 4, we see that Jesus is healing people, people that are blind, people that are lame, people that can't hear, people that have leprosy. Jesus is doing so many healings, and people are coming from all around just to be healed by Jesus. And one of the people that experienced that is Peter's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law. She had a fever. It wouldn't go away. And Jesus rebuked the fever. She got up. She began serving the people that were there in her house. And so this same Simon is sitting by the seashore, and he's washing his nets. And Jesus walks up. And there's this huge crowd following him. And so why are they following him? Well, they've learned that he can heal. They can learn that he's taught with such authority that he says scripture is written about him. And they're just curious. And so they're pressing in. If you can kind of see that picture, he's standing on the, the, the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. And these people are crowding around. They want to hear a word from Jesus. And they're getting closer and closer. And finally Jesus says, hey, Simon, can I, can I borrow your boat? And so he hops up in the boat. They push out just a little bit. And Jesus just grabs a seat. And so the people are on the seashore and they're listening. Wouldn't, could you imagine just sitting there and being among the people during that time? What is Jesus saying to them? The good news, we don't have to guess. If you look back up in chapter 4, verse number 43, Jesus shares his heart about what he has come to, to tell the people. Verse 43 in chapter 4 says, this is Jesus speaking, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the, town, to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. That, that phrase there, it says, proclaim the good news. Uh, it is, uh, in the King James Version, it is one word. It is preach the kingdom of God. That word preach is a Greek word that is euangelizo, uh, which is where we get our word evangelize. In other words, Jesus said that the reason that I was sent is to evangelize, to spread the good news about the kingdom of God, which is coming very soon through the, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of himself. And so Jesus is sitting in this boat, 
And he's teaching the people about the kingdom of God. And they're listening. And they're just, they're so wrapped up in how he teaches with such authority. They're amazed. But then he goes on. Verse number four. It says that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So Jesus really, right here, he's, he's asking them to do the impossible. We're talking about four fishermen in, in, a, in two different boats. They had fished all night. So evidently the time for fishing on the Sea of Galilee was at night. It was not during the day when the sun was up, when the sun was beating on the water. The water at the top was warm. The fish weren't feeding. They were lower down in the cooler water. But at night, when the sun goes down, the fish come up, they begin to feed. That's the time you fish uh, that's the time that you fish. So Jesus, okay, you're a carpenter. You stick with woodworking. We'll stick with fishing, and we're not going to do this. This makes no sense whatsoever to them that Jesus would say, put out and cast your nets. But Peter says five words that it's a game changer. I don't know if you caught them, but Peter says, but because you say so, but because you say so, man, how many of life's troubles, trials, mistakes, and regrets could be avoided if we just look to God's word to see what he had to say about the situation, and even when it didn't make sense at all, we just said, but because you say so, it would be a game changer about how we spend our money. It could be a game changer about how your marriage, it, it, it could be a game changer in your family. It could be a game changer uh, with your friendships at work. But because you say so, I will do things that make no sense to me, but your word tells me that I should do them. But because you say so, here's the key. You never know if a miracle lies just on the other side of but because you say so. When they went out there in the middle of that, that Sea of Galilee and dropped those nets, they were expecting to catch nothing. And instead, they pulled in so many fish that they had to call another boat to come out. And because they floated it up so much that these boats began to sink. If we will begin wrapping our faith around the phrase, but because you say so, it will cause us to live out this faith in ways that are not spineless, as the article referred to earlier. But because you say so. The Canuzi's not done yet. Let's read, continue reading Luke chapter 5, starting verse number 8 there. When Simon Peter saw this, saw the boat, saw the catch, saw the miracle. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. You see, Peter made a response, but it wasn't just to the catch. Luke says that he responded to the catch. I think it's more. You see, just maybe days before, Luke saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. And just minutes before, Peter, Simon, sat in the boat with Jesus and listened to him teach on the Sea of Galilee as he shared with people about the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God. And then Peter responded in belief by saying, but because you say so. Then he saw the catch. In response to all of those things, we find Simon face down at the feet of Jesus, acknowledging him as Lord as master and saying, I am a sinful man. I am not living according to the teachings of God. And he must have been afraid or Jesus would not have said in the next verse, don't be afraid. Get up. From now on, you will fish for people that little word there, fish, it's uh, zogre, which is the Greek word. And I love the definition of this word. It doesn't exactly mean fish. It means to take alive. Jesus was telling Simon, who was laying face down, going, Lord, get away from me. I am a sinner. I am a sinful man. I am not deserving to be in your presence. I don't deserve to be in the boat with you. I shouldn't experience these miracles that you have performed. Get away from me, Jesus. And Jesus says, don't be afraid because I've got a mission for you. Your mission is to fish. Your mission is to take alive the people that don't know me. And that's what Peter did. That's what Peter did on the other side of the cross. He spent his life taking alive people with the message that the kingdom of God is here because Jesus had given his life on the cross for the forgiveness of sins so that we could have a growing relationship with God. The original call of those first few disciples, those first few followers of Jesus, it really is the same as what Jesus said the reason was for him to be sent. You and I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. How do we do that? How, do we, how does that become a reality in our life? Because we say it all the time in church. Hey, you need to share the good news with people. We say all the time, hey, who's your one? Okay, find out who that one is and share the gospel with them this year. But we say those things. They bounce off our hearts and we don't do them. 
So how does this become a reality in our lives? Well, guys, we just follow the same pattern. You sit there and you listen to the teachings. You don't do it on just Sunday and Wednesdays, but you carve out daily time to get into God's Word and say, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, speak to me about how I should live this life so that I can have those moments where I go, it doesn't make sense, it's just it's crazy talk, but because you say so. I'll do it. Not only do you need to listen to his teachings, but you've got to respond with those, but, to those but-because-you-say-so moments. Not only that, there's got to be a moment in, in time where you respond to Christ in repentance. Where you see yourself for who you really are as a sinner. And you see who he really is as a savior. And then, once that's done, from now on, you will fish for people. From now on, it's your mission to take alive people. Because people that don't know Jesus are dead in sin. And Jesus says, I have sent you so that you can take alive people with the message of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Every member, a missionary here, there, and everywhere. That's what we've been called to do. In 1984, um, Michael Jordan was drafted third in the NBA draft. Soon after that, um, Nike, the shoe company, took a chance and signed this young rookie to a shoe contract. I'd say it worked out pretty well for him. What you think? Six championships later, uh, all just, I mean, MVP scoring titles. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on and on when you think about Michael Jordan. But that shoe company that, that decided to sign him to a shoe deal, uh, they came out there in 1985 with uh, Air Jordan 1s. And so if you purchased Air Jordan 1s in 1985 and you held on to them until today, they go for on the internet about $8,000 right now. <laughs> yeah, for a shoe. Now I was 15 years old when those came out. It was awesome. Aren't those pretty? <laughs> I mean, Air Jordan 1s. Only problem? They're fake. You know how I know they're fake? All I have to do is look at the inside. On the inside, it says that the date these were made were in August of 2018. You know how we know if our Christianity is fake? Same way, we look on the inside. Has Jesus changed our hearts? Have we repented of our sins and given our whole life over to him? Because he said, follow me. And fishermen left their boats behind, left their nets behind. They even left the catch behind that would have scored them a huge payday. They left everything when they were in the presence of Jesus. Guess what? That's got to be our response. This world has nothing for me. Jesus, what do you want 
me to do. I want you to take people alive. We just sang the song. You sang these words about Jesus. No shadow you won't light up. No mountain you won't climb up coming after me. No wall you won't kick down. And no lie you won't tear down coming after me. You sang those words about Jesus. Would those same words be true about how you pursue people in the name of Jesus? They can be. There is no shadow that anyone can hide behind, that, that you can't light up as the light of the world. That's what Jesus called you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world, and you can take that light into the darkness, and the darkness will be defeated in Jesus there is, is there a mountain that you won't climb up? There are mountains built all around us in this culture. I mean, we could go on and on about the different things that keep us from going out and sharing the good news. But Jesus said, hey, there's not a single mountain that I would not climb out coming after you. Walls, oh my goodness gracious. Walls seem to be built every single day. New walls that keep us from doing what God's called us to do. But there's not a wall that would keep us from the love of Jesus. And lies, guys, it's time to tear down the lies because we have a, a nation, we have a world of people that believe the lies of this world, that they can have everything, that they can just be good, that they can do good, and they can feel good, and they've checked the Christian box. May what we just sang be true about our pursuit of those that don't know Jesus so that we can raise a generation, this next generation, to be faithful. What is the faith of the next generation worth? Does it mean that you have to sacrifice some funds? Maybe. Sacrifice some time? Maybe. Sacrifice things that you really, really want to do? Maybe. But is their faith worth it? Absolutely. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we, just, we come before you this morning, God, asking you to just continue to penetrate our hearts, God, with your truth. Father, it's not easy to hear words about yourself that you possibly have been presented this good news as spineless. So, Father, we, we come and confess the times where we've not been obedient to the calling on our lives and the mission of the church. But, God, we do pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit that you would fuel us to go and take alive the people that don't know you as Savior and Lord and God as Heavenly Father. Father, be with us during these next few moments as we respond to what we've heard. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Invitation's really simple this morning. If you've uh, never had the experience as Simon did when he saw who Jesus was and his response was, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man.
Every single person that's a believer in Jesus Christ has had that moment in their lives where we've confessed those sins to God, said, God, you know, I am a sinful man. But then we've accepted what Jesus has done for us through the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection, that he provided the forgiveness of our sins. He provided grace for our sins, that if we believe in him, we might be saved. I would encourage you, if you've never made that decision, to do it today. If you're looking for a church to partner with, we would love to have you at Parkway. We'd love for you to join our mission where every member has a part to play. But mainly the invitation this morning is for each one of us just to continue to examine our hearts and see how we should respond to this message. Maybe to confess where we've failed God, confess where we've not gone next door or across the street or to the next cubicle and shared the love of Jesus with someone. But you respond as God leads you this morning. We're going to sing together. Why don't you stand with us as we sing?